1: Empire
0: Hello and welcome to my podcast. Do me a favor, subscribe to The John Con Report wherever you get your podcasts. And also do me another favor, hit that like button. It helps us. Hit that subscribe button. That also helps us. In a minute, I'm going to be joined by Washington Senior Advisor former quarterback Doug Williams. As I record this, it is the 35th anniversary of Washington's Super Bowl win after the 1987 season, of course, marking the first time an African-American had quarterbacked a Super Bowl team. So I spoke to Doug about that for a story that's going to run on ESPN.com on Wednesday, and I also wanted to include that into the podcast because I thought it was in it's interesting what Doug had to say about it, his memories of that game, what it meant to him and to others around him, and also what it means to him to see Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurts facing off in the Super Bowl in less than two weeks. But I also did ask Williams some other memories about that Super Bowl win and also his thoughts on Washington quarterback, current Washington quarterback Sam Howell. There are some things he really likes about Hal, so stay tuned to hear what he has to say about that. Before I get to that conversation with Doug, I do have—I'm going to need a few minutes of your time to go over some more of the offensive coordinator stuff. This is getting to be like we're going to start to need some of the white smoke that they that they send out when they elect a new pope out over in Rome. To just when this thing is over, it's not going to end until after the Super Bowl. We know that because they want to wait to speak to Eric Bieniemy. As I record this. I have not heard of any meeting yet with the 49ers assistant coach, Anthony Lynn, but Ron Rivera is out on the West coast. That's where Lynn is based, of course, with San Francisco. So my guess is a meeting will take place at some point. But when I talked to somebody earlier today, nothing had been set up yet. By the time you hear this, perhaps something will have happened. Again, they're being very patient. One thing with Rivera we've learned over the years is that he is very deliberate about certain decisions. I think this is, clearly another case of that and again clearly wants to interview eric bienemy one thing on bienemy i'm not sure that he was a, a i don't know that he was a legitimate candidate or a strong candidate up until maybe the past week or so maybe a little bit more than that so this the i think that's about when my understanding is and talking to a few people is that's about when it really began so anyway well, let's go over some of the um, some of the possible candidates, why they may be considered for it, um, et cetera. So let's look at, and I'm going to, get to be enemy more on him in a minute because I think it's interesting. He is one of the more interesting candidates that they that they're going to talk to. As far as some of the other guys, Pat Shermer, the reason why they would like him, and I've gone over this before, but the big factor for him, he has experience in multiple offensive systems, including Andy Reid's. He's also worked with young quarterbacks which they feel would be good for Sam Howell, and he's worked, he's done well with some kind of, you know, quarterbacks who aren't at the top of the, the um, quarterback chain, so to speak. Nick Foles, um, he worked, did really well with him in Philadelphia, did well with Case Keenum in Minnesota. So I think those are points in his favor. We also know what he is as a coordinator. And, you know, the when you talk to people around the league, it's it's kind of mixed at best what they say about him. But if you're looking about why he would be somebody that Revere would want, that he does have connections to him. But it's some of the other things I said. Um, you can look at Eric Studesville. I think he's very good with the run game, very good with protection. The concern I think that, that I would have, I think that would probably be the case, is his involvement in the pass game, setting up a pass game, that could be something that holds him back there, I think. Thomas Brown heard he was really good interview. I think the the knock there for, or not the knock, but the concern would be he hasn't done it before. Now, of course, there's only one way to get that experience. It's to actually get hired to do that job. I think my, I, I almost wonder if this had been Rivera's first year or even a second year that maybe he would be more willing to take a shot on somebody who doesn't have the experience. Same goes for Charles London, the Atlanta assistant coach that would you be more willing to take a shot with somebody in that situation versus going into your fourth year where, you know, you have to win and you're going to have to impress a new owner. You want to energize not only your roster, but the fan base as well. Now the first priority is to make, to make a good hire, but I think there's a lot of things to consider there that, Would you be willing to take a chance on someone who hasn't called plays when you're going into a make or break year for yourself? That's something I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. I, I'm just going to say, I don't think that's what the direction they'll go, but we'll, we'll see. Then I think when you look at a guy like the why him? Well, first of all, why is he available? Well, his contract is up. There is question about whether or not he would continue in Kansas city, but I think it all I wouldn't be surprised if you're the enemy that you want to go somewhere where you can be your own guy on offense. It's always going to be about Andy Reid there, Patrick Mahomes, et cetera. Why leave all that talent? Because you want to prove yourself. You want to show people that you can do this. And he hasn't had a chance to be, he's an offensive coordinator, but he hasn't had a chance to always call the place to, to be the guy on offense. This would give him that ability. Now, you're also going to look at why would he come here. Well, it depends on what are the other options. Baltimore likely would be one. Andy Reid, John Harbaugh have good relationship, obviously. And so I think that would be one where you could look at that. And that's a, that would be an attractive position. Look at Lamar Jackson, right? Then you look at Tennessee. With, is that somewhere he would go? You have Derrick Henry. You have a, a stable. Despite the record this year, they've been a very good program under Mike Vrabel. So you would think that there's a little bit more security there. And so would that would that make a difference? I'm sure, but I don't know how he would look at this job compared to those other two, um, where that would stack up in the whole thing. You do have three excellent young playmakers at receiver with Curtis Samuel, of course, Terry McLaurin, and then Jahan Dotson. And I think you have intriguing tight ends, depends on how you view them. You have a solid running game with with Robinson and Gibson. And my guess, my guess is my sense is they will add another running back to that mix. And then the quarterback, what do you think of the quarterback? That's also going to be a big part of it. Do you think he's somebody that can produce in what you want to do? And you also have to figure, Are they going? how much are they going to invest in that offensive line this offseason? I've been telling you that I do believe it's a big priority for them. So I do think they're going to be an investment in there, but you still don't know what that product looks like right now. It's, it's a future situation to look at, but I do think there'll be investment why would he be good here well i think there're a couple of reasons one again he hasn't called he's not a full-time play caller with Kansas City but one thing i understand is he's heavily involved in the game planning i think that's important cuz when you talk to people who have played for a guy like Andy Reid the details of the of the of the installments the details of the screen game of you know, things that the way they're taught or, or again, installed in meetings and all that. He's been there for all that. So if he's heavily involved in that, then that would you would think that that's going to be a part of what he does, because I don't think Andy Reid would let him do that if he's not as, you know, if he's not doing it a certain way. So that would bode well for what he would want to do here. I think the other thing is, I remember talking to Adrian Peterson about him a couple of years ago, um, Well, about three years ago, three or four years ago. And he absolutely loved Bienemy. He played for him in Minnesota. Loved him for the same reason. And um, I was listening to Logan Paulson and Craig Craig Hoffman on the Take Command podcast earlier today. And they've said the same thing that I've heard from, from Peterson and from others. It's the way he pushes them. And Paulson had had worked, excuse me, attended, played at UCLA when Biennemi was a running backs coach there and knows and he kept referring to the high standards that he has for his players. And I've heard that from a lot of people that he does push guys, he will really, really work, guys. And it doesn't matter who you are. And I think there's you know, some guys can take that hard coaching, not all guys can. So if you're going to get on Terry McLaurin in the practice, I think McLaurin's a guy who's played, he played for Urban Meyer. I don't think that's going to be, I don't think that's going to be something that he's going to back away from. And he wasn't exactly a star at Ohio State either. So he would have been, you know, he would have been a guy like, so I don't think, I think guys like Logan Thomas, I think they can take certain things if you see, if they see that it's working or producing the results that they want, because the results are something that they're all looking for. So, but that's one thing. And someone else to point out too that, one of the things that I think he would do is set, again, set that high standard for the offense and be very vocal, very vocal during practices. And I think that's not a bad thing because you didn't really see that from this group in the past. Randy Jordan, I think has a lot of energy as a running backs coach, but during the, the full team stuff, that's not going to be what he's going to do. And Scott Turner wasn't that guy. I think Scott Turner, the, there wasn't a lot of energy oozing from him in that regard. So, I think that's something he could bring as well. He would be that lieutenant, so to speak. That a guy like Rivera, who's more of a CEO coach, can use on both sides of the ball. I think so. I think you could look at that and say, in this for several, you know, you you kind of hear with enemy that maybe after a few years, some vets might get a little bit annoyed by that approach. But certainly, when you're a team in this situation, when the offense is trying to look for a spark, I think they, I think that could work well for a few years, depending on how he's a play caller, and we don't know. But I think. So he kind of falls in that same category as a Thomas Brown, London, but he does actually have experience calling plays. He does have experience coordinating an offense and he does have that fire that I think that people here probably would want to see. Um, I think the last thing is then which coach is going to use those creative ways to get guys the ball? Because when you talk to some of the players here, one of the things they look at, and I've talked to players and they say, like they watch some of these other teams, San Francisco, Kansas City, Minnesota, and the way they get guys the ball, the different ways they get guys the ball, the different formations they use, the way they would San Francisco would use a Debo Samuel, not just like lining him up in the backfield, but then how you use him out of the backfield, how you get to those plays, the plays you run. It's not just putting in a guy in a spot, it's how you then use him in those spots they all notice that. They want that here because they feel like they have that kind of group here that is versatile that you can do that with. So whoever can bring that, um, I think they're going to jump, get behind. And I forgot to bring up Ken Ken Zampezi too, because why would they go with him? He's got some experience. And, and when you, he, clearly one of the things that they're really concerned with is developing Sam Howell. So they want to develop that, him as a quarterback and one way you can do that is by keeping the same offense so he doesn't have to learn a second off another second offense in two years Zampezi clearly gets that and I think Zampezi also understands that you've got to do better because I've heard this from a few people now that you've got to do a better that he knows they have to do a better job of getting guys like Terry McLaurin the ball with more targets and I looked this up so Terry McLaurin give me a second here with these numbers he was 20 well I'm going to go this 6th in the NFL in yards per catch, 10th in the NFL in total receiving yards, 22nd in the NFL in number of targets. That has to change. He needs to get the he needs to get more a little bit more involved, and a little bit more involved early. I think I know that the offensive players know that. And I think the same could be true of a guy like Jahan Dotson when he plays a full year. Um you know, I think you you'll want to see his targets go up as well. So I think guys who can come in, and who know, who understand that, I think Zampezi does. Because, um, but the guys who understand that will get a leg up in this in this quarterback, excuse me, coordinator search. The knock, the drawback for him would be: how wedded are you to this system? How creative are you going to be in getting certain guys the ball and all that? So that's part I don't know. You know, I don't I don't know what they're thinking there, but. Um, anyway, that's kind of how I view all these candidates and you know, it wouldn't, you know, we'll see where it goes. But again, it's not going to end anytime soon because they're going to wait for the enemy. That's what I have. So I hope that helps. I hope that provides some sort of, you know, gives you a little bit of a handicapping of this of this search. That's what I'm trying to do and just try and provide some provide some insight from people that I've talked to about this entire search. And so there you go. Now, it's been 35 years, folks. It's a long time. It's a last. It's quite a legacy that Doug Williams has left. That's why I wanted to bring him on. I think he's, he's one of the more interesting people I've met over the years covering the NFL. And so here you go. Here's my conversation with former Washington Redskins quarterback and current senior advisor, Doug Williams. Learn more at Marines.com. Doug, as we speak, it's been 35 years to the day when you made history. And I'm going to get to the magnitude of this Super Bowl when you have two African-American quarterbacks face each other for the first time. But for you, what does that 35 years, what does that mean to you? And can you believe it's been that long? Well, no,
1: that's like three decades and a half, man. That's a long time. And, you know, when you get up every day, it's, it's amazing that um, it's something about that day you think about. Really? And and sometimes it seems like it was yesterday, but we know it was a yesteryears. And you look at it from that standpoint and you think about the guys you play with, the guys that are here, the guys that are gone, and the guys that are still around, man. And, and you appreciate each and every one of them more and more uh, every day that you get up and think about that, that time we had in, in San Diego, man, it was a great time. But it also uh, bring back the legacy of your family. You know, what, what my son, like DJ, who's coaching down in New Orleans, what his mindset is, what my daughter who texts me this morning talking about 35 years of history and the younger generation, you know, how they look at it and, and what they think uh, transpired 35 years ago and where we are and where we are today.
0: Do you, how often, I know we've talked about this, but how often are you reminded of this game from others?
1: <laughs> well, I don't think it's nowhere that I've gone. You know, anytime I get on the airplane, I'm going to run into somebody in the airport or on the airplane or somewhere going to remind me of this day. You know, and that's why it's, it's, it's always fresh in your mind because uh, somebody's going to remind you. And they they realize that uh, history was made that day. And they and they never will forget that, you know, and, and it's amazing, especially when I run into older guys who always say, Man, look, I just want to tell you every time I'm having a bad day, I go and pop my VH VHS in. Not not a disc, they VHS. That's how long it's been. And you know, you meet guys that with their mother and stuff like that. And they say, Mom, mom, that's that guy you was you was praying for that day. She said, Well, you know, look at she said, baby, I don't know nothing about football said, but I just want to let you know I prayed for you that day. You know, those kind of things that keep it fresh in your mind and realize that, uh, you know, not only for myself and my family, but a whole lot of other people was, was uh, happy at the same time.
0: When did you realize the magnitude of that moment and that it would be a lasting one like it has become?
1: Wow. You know, I think like when Coach Robinson met me in the tunnel and the first thing he told me that uh, – you know, I, I don't understand the impact at that particular time. You know, I was 32 years old, and he told me that the impact, I don't understand what it was like. You know, he told me it was like um, uh, Joe Lewis knocking out Matt Snelling, right. And, you know, I, I knew what that was about because my dad had told me that, you know, how the, how the world reacted to Joe Lewis knocking out Matt Snelling. You know, I knew that impact. And from that day on, you know, it just, it just was a day for me and the team to be winners of champions in the NFL. But as time go on, you tend to realize that it was an impacted day, uh, not only for me, but for a lot of, a lot of African-Americans, for a lot of Americans as a whole.
0: And, and you know, were there, have there been times where it surprised you where you were when someone said something to you about it?
1: No, because, you know, and no matter where I go, you know, sometimes you you try to be incognito where you're at sometimes, whether or not it's in the States or anywhere else, you're going to run across somebody uh, going to mention it to you. And then I, I find myself in a lot of airports and I, I might be sitting, waiting on a flight and you can feel the fact that people are looking at you, but they're afraid to come up to you and somebody going to come up to me. Can I take this picture? And everybody looks at, wow, that's, that is who it is, you know, <laughs> and then they want to take a picture. So that, that happens. And, 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 it reminds you, like my dad told me a long time ago um, if you don't want to be bothered, stay home. And and when I'm out, I expect that to happen. If it don't happen, that is great. But if it does happen, you got to treat people uh, the way you want to be treated.
0: But you also like, and I've known you for a while, and you seem to understand what you symbolize and without it becoming some egotistical thing. Does that make sense? I would say, yeah. I
1: mean, I'm not, I don't have an ego about what I've done. I, you know, I did what I set out to do, and, and that's to to find a way to get to the Super Bowl and, and, and end up winning it. Uh, that was part of the job that I had. Uh, There's no sense in looking at it from an a egotistical standpoint. Uh, you know, some people might think that's what it is, but, I mean, confidence, yeah. Ego, no. And, and, and I, I try to
0: handle it the same way. But it would be, like I said, it would be kind of heady to have 35 years later people still coming up to you, still asking for autographs still asking for pictures and understanding how much it resonated. So is it, how, what is that like to deal with? And how do you let it, how do you kind of step aside away from yourself, I guess, to understand that it's, you know, that, I don't know if I'm making sense, but it's just like, it seems like it would be really hard to separate sometimes, you know, what you did versus, you know, and not letting it get to your head that, oh, I meant so much. You seem to understand what it symbolizes very well.
1: Well, I think a lot of it has to do with uh, how you was raised and, uh, you know, bless my mom's soul. My mom, my dad, my mom always preached to us that um, don't put yourself too far up on the pedestal. You won't have that for the fall. Mm -hmm. And so I always looked at it that, you know, I'm just like anybody else. Everybody else has problems. I have problems. It just so happened I was able to do something on on a particular day that a lot of people hadn't had that opportunity. So it it made a lot of people happy, made me happy, my family happy. And the most important thing, just
0: enjoy that while you can, because, you know, you don't know how long you're going to be able to enjoy. it. Has society, you know, from that game to now, has society progressed the way you thought it might when it comes to all this?
1: I'm going to say no, no, John. You know, I mean, I'm old enough now to just to think about the past and think about what is going on today. Uh, it's unfortunate that, um, you know, uh, sports, uh, aside from sports, uh, what's happening every day. Sports is, is just a part of the game. But the the, the life of that everybody lives every day is, is unfortunate, not what I expect for it to be. 35 years ago or before that, you know, we 35 years later. And I think we still fighting a whole lot of battles off the field. And, and that's the part that, you know, being the first black quarterback, and it really doesn't matter sometimes when you think about what is really going on in in this country and, uh, you know, the the vision, the division between, um, you know, race and everything else. I mean, that's, that's the part that bothers me more than anything.
0: So now you have Patrick Mahomes versus Jalen Hurts in the Super Bowl—the first time two black quarterbacks have met in the Super Bowl. What did what did that moment when they when that happened? What does that mean to you?
1: Well, you know, in 1978, um, <laughs> my man uh, that was up in um, Chicago—I I can't remember his name—but him and I was the first two black quarterbacks to play in the National Football League, yeah. and uh, I think where we are right now. Um, you know, you're watching these two young guys. It brings it brought me back to to that day when we, you know, it was a big thing back then. I mean, that that uh, him and I played. And I, and I mentioned his name last night. We played in that same game last night. I mean, say last in, in 78. And then I'm looking at now, we got two black quarterbacks playing in the Super Bowl. I, I think when you look at that, all it tells you is if the guys before me, the James Harris, the the the, the Joe Gilliam, the uh, David May, John Walton, Warren Moon, who had an opportunity, but but guys that 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 came before me, if they had had a fair chance, the, if the landscape was even, you know, it might this might have happened a long time ago. I mean, there might have been a black quarterback before me if they had given the opportunity. I think what has happened, the landscape or the the, the coaches, the general managers. And 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 everybody else has changed a little bit. Their mentality is not focused so much on, I'm not saying that their mind is not on color, but it's about winning. And I think what has happened, they, they want the best guy at whatever position they have to get them an opportunity to get to the Super Bowl. And I think that's what has transpired. And you got some coaches, and the reed don't care what color you are. You know, I was fortunate enough to play for John McKay and 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 and, and Joe Gibbs. They it wasn't about color. It was about who can get the job done, and I think that's what has happened here with these two young quarterbacks.
0: So how did you react when, when Mahomes, <laughs> they clinched it? How did you react?
1: You know, uh, Jalen had won his game earlier, man, and I was sitting there watching um, uh, Ken City and the, and, and, and the Cincinnati game, and I was on pins and needles like everybody else, and I don't know why I was on pins and knees, because neither one of the team represented me, but I'm looking at these guys, and then I realized I realized before the game if 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 Patrick won this game that we was gonna have two black quarterbacks in the Super Bowl. Um, but when Patrick, you know, made that boo-boo on that Fummer and everything and he gave the ball back to Joe Burrows, I say it's over with now, because you don't get a ball back to Joe Burrows because he know exactly what to do with it. But Kansas City found a way to the hole and whatever happened, gave the ball back to Patrick. And then he realized that they had an opportunity, they was moving the football and and when he broke out the pocket on that scramble, you know, I looked at and I said, this guy's supposed to be hurt, man. They let you know how tough he is. And he was trying to get all he can get out of that run. And all of a sudden, the out-of-bounds hit came and gave him 15 more yards. And I said right then, you know, we, we got a possibility of two black quarterbacks. When the field goal kicker hit it through the uprights, emotion came all through my body, John, you know. And, you know, I wonder why I was like that myself, but but it's, it's the realness of two black quarterbacks coming from where I came from, from where the guys that didn't get the opportunity come from. And it's unfortunate, 35 years later, that I would be feeling this way because it shouldn't be that way. And, and then you realize that these two guys playing the Super Bowl, but at the same time, that was some disappointment in the fact that we got so many guys who should be black coaches that are not given that opportunity. And, and that's how I look at those two guys being the Super Bowl, that the guys before us didn't get those opportunities, just like the guys that should be coaching somewhere and not getting an opportunity.
0: And, and I do want to ask you a little bit more. We only have a few minutes left here, but I do want to ask you a little bit more about the Super Bowl win itself and just – what you remember about that game, because it wasn't just that you won, it was a record setting performance. So what, what, why did it go so well for you guys that day? And this is also coming after a six hour root canal, correct? The day before and then hurting your knee. Why did it, what, what went on?
1: Oh man, I I think it was just in in the plan. I think it was in God's will. When you look at this whole situation, because when I went down with my knee, um, the trainer ran out on the field. Kiyoki was the trainer, and he was about to touch me on my knee. And I just put my hand, and I told him, don't touch me. I said, if the good Lord let me get up, I'm going to finish this game. And I was able to get off the ground, limp over to the sideline, and uh, do whatever had to be done and was able to warm up. And then when Coach Gibbs came to me at the beginning of the second quarter, uh, you know, he asked me, "Say you can go? I said, yeah, Coach, I'm ready. He said, well, let's get this sucker to rolling." And that was one of those days that the, the team as a whole got together and said to itself, hey, we're going to win this sucker. And I can remember Jeff Bostic walking in the huddle saying, we're not going to let anybody touch him the rest of the day. And, and that in itself, I think, lift us up. And the defense plays played lights out. We got turnovers. Uh, we got the ball back. And whatever Coach Gibb called, it didn't matter. Um, execution was at the the best that had ever been done before. In 18 plays, we were able to score 35 points. And the 18 plays was mainly because the way the defense gave us the ball back. And, and we took advantage of every last one, uh, opportunity that we had to score those points. It was just one of those days that um, no matter what you call, no matter what happened, everything was working on all cylinders.
0: What's your favorite moment from that week, either leading up to it, the game itself, or after?
1: You know what? The Thursday night before the game, because, you know, unlike a lot of other players, you know, I, I didn't go out in my room. I stayed in the room watching TV, watching, looking at the playbook because I didn't want to go out and face the, the, the media because everybody was at that hotel waiting for for a glimpse or opportunity to, to ask me that, that, that question about being black. And I didn't want to deal with that because I didn't I didn't go to, to uh, San Diego to be a black quarterback, and so I just stayed in the room. And I got a phone call from one of my ex-teammates, Jimmy Giles. Hmm. He called me. and said, "Hey man, let's go to dinner tonight." And I told. I said, "Jimmy, man, I don't want to go out there. I don't want to bother with them guys." And she said, "No, we going to dinner. You ain't gonna be bothering them guys." So, so him and a friend came and they got me out of my room. I'm walking between them. You know, all the media was out there trying to ask questions, and we just kept walking. He say, hey, "We're not going to do that," and we went out and you know went to steak place, they had a nice steak, man. It was it was one of those days I was relaxed, you know, and came back to the room. So everything was was hunky dory, and and you know when Sunday came around, walking off the field after the game was probably um, the, the moment that I reflect back on everything from from which I came, the the road that was traveled, that was less traveled, and all the people that's in my life, all the people that was negative, you know, so many memories that I remember walking off that field, man. And it's it just put me in a, in a great position.
0: Very last thing, and I, I only got one minute left here, and I'm going to turn to the current team right now and another quarterback, Sam Howell. You got a chance to watch him one game. I'm curious what you thought of him and what you think of him.
1: Well, you know, one game is is hard to really tell, but the one game that he did play, the little bit that I got of it, got out of it, along with what I saw early on in training camp, because you know, during the season you don't get a whole lot to look at. Uh, Sam Howell, to me, has what I call quarterback moxie. You know, he he can do some things that a lot of guys just don't have in their body. You know, I remember the run that he made, how he put his foot in the ground and got straight up the field. You know, he didn't have to take time to make that turn. And the way he moved in the pocket and the way he threw the ball to McLaurin coming across, he just got some things that a lot of people don't have. Uh, I think he has to play if, you, if you're going to see any more of him. Uh, it's going to be interesting. Uh, hopefully he get a chance to show what, what he can do. I know he has an arm. He can get it done. But I like his, his demeanor in the pocket. And uh, we just got to wait and
0: see. Doug, thank you very much for your time and for remembering this stuff. And, you know, I know it's got some busy day, a busy day ahead. So I appreciate your time, man. All
1: right, John. My
0: pleasure.
1: Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
0: That's it for this episode. And by the way, the quarterback that Doug Williams is trying to remember in that story with Chicago was Vince Evans. And he, of course, he texted me right after he got off the phone saying it was Vince Evans. So just wanted to let you know that that's who he was talking about, about when he was talking about the game where he and Evans were the first black quarterbacks to face off as against one another as starting quarterbacks in the NFL. Anyway, thanks to Doug for joining me. Thank you for listening. I'll be back on Friday with another episode talking to ESPN's Dan Graziano who talked about the commanders and how they – just kind of look going around the league with what he thinks, the perception of them, some of their OC search, some things that maybe he's heard about, Eric enemy all that good stuff. I'll be back on Friday. Talk to you next time.